Discipleship. Every Christian's duty. And this is an important topic for every church, for the true church. It's important that we understand what discipleship is. It's important that we are being discipled. And it's important that we're discipling others. It's a vital subject, a vital theological issue we need to look at. And the Bible has a lot to say, especially in the New Testament, about discipleship. As a church, we have to have a biblical view of discipleship. Mark Dever, who's known for writing books and preaching on discipleship, said the Christian life is the discipled life and the discipling life. So he's saying there to be a Christian is to be discipled and to be discipling others. Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian of about 100 years ago, said the greatest gift a church can receive is to have a group of families who take their responsibilities with such Christian seriousness that they are willing to completely alter their lifestyle to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. We need to understand discipleship. We need to apply that understanding. And we need to be in the process of being discipled and discipling others. The church is the pillar and foundation of God's divine truth. That's in scripture. We are the pillar and the foundation. It's where people come to hear God's word. It's where people come to learn God's word. And where else should discipleship be taking place other than in and among the local church? The church is not an entertainment venue. It's a training center. It's a training center to train up believers in Christ, followers in Christ, teaching them the word, letting them use their spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Sometimes in our membership class, I didn't say it this last time in the class, but often I have said that, and I heard it somewhere in my decades past, that the church is not a cruise ship where you come to get entertained and fed just junk food, but the church is a battleship where you're constantly going through training and training, getting ready for war, getting ready for spiritual war. And that's really what discipleship is about. It's training. So today I want to show you five considerations on biblical Christian discipleship. And I, and I phrase that specifically biblical. It has to be biblical discipleship. It's not just somebody's thoughts, somebody's ideas. There's a lot in the last few decades that have been said about discipleship, and much of that's not biblical. Sometimes it's just one man's opinions and one man's thoughts, and it may not even be bad. But where does it say that in the Bible is our question. And it's Christian discipleship. We're not making disciples of Michael Beck. We're not making disciples of John MacArthur. We're not making disciples of some new guru out there mixing Christianity with something else but it's Christian discipleship. We're making disciples of Christ, and we're training up and discipling people to be like Christ. And so Christ had a few things to say about that in Scripture. We don't necessarily need the latest fad book to tell us about discipleship when Christ had so much to say here in the Bible. So five considerations on biblical Christian discipleship. Number one, the definition of discipleship. If you get this wrong, you can't proceed in discipling others. Number one, the definition of discipleship. And to talk about discipleship, we need to define, first of all, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Again, if we, if we get this wrong, if we give the wrong definition, then everything after this, the way we do discipleship and, and everything else is going to be off base. We're going to go in the wrong direction. 
what is a disciple? First of all, a disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes. The name Matthew is based on that word mathetes. It's a learner who adheres to a particular teacher or teaching. Christ had disciples. Rabbis in his day had disciples, people who followed their rabbi around and learned from him and imitated him and did what he told them to do and believed what he told them to believe. Really, a disciple in the New Testament is a Christian. Every Christian is a disciple. Every disciple of Christ is a Christian. It's a believer. Everyone who believes in Christ, everyone who believes has faith alone in Christ alone is a disciple. It's someone who has trust in Christ alone for salvation and has repented, has turned from their sin, and now follows Jesus every day of their life. That's a disciple. Jesus even said a disciple will become like his teacher. It was just a common proverb. Everybody knew a disciple is to follow his teacher and become like him. Believe what he believes, adhere to his teaching, and then live like he lived based on that teaching. It's someone who is a learner. A disciple is a learner. There must be learning in discipleship. A disciple is a learner. Not a passive person just sitting there receiving. Not someone who just sits back, kicks back, And listens to what's being taught. Even if it's in a one-on-one relationship. But a disciple is a learner. Who follows a particular teacher. By the way you can't disciple unbelievers. These are believers that are being discipled. What do you do with unbelievers? You evangelize unbelievers. You make a disciple by evangelizing. But you don't disciple unbelievers. Sometimes we get a little over eager. And we say that we're discipling our unbelieving friend. Our unbelieving child. But that's really not correct biblical terminology. We need to say that we're evangelizing them. And you may do that through books of the Bible. You may do that in various ways. But discipleship in particular is used for followers of Christ to be growing and adhering to the teaching of Christ and following him and what he taught and how he lived. So now that's a disciple. Let's look at the term discipleship which means to disciple. How do you disciple? We'll come to that phrase a little bit later. But right now, what is discipleship? It's a very popular word. It's often used vaguely. It's not fellowship. It's not just hanging out. It's not going to the golf course with your buddy. That's fellowship. And even fellowship really needs to be in a Christian context to be true Christian fellowship. But discipleship is not fellowship. It's not evangelism. That's making a disciple. It's not evangelism. It's not just hanging out, not just having dinner. Although discipleship could occur over dinner, it's not even coaching. That's a common word today. There's all these Christian coaches. Not sports coaches, but just coaching, life coaching. How to have a better life. How to be more successful in business and marriage. Life coaching. Comes from the Greek word to disciple, manthano. Just like mathetes was to be a disciple, manthano is to be discipled, to learn. To learn, to be discipled. It's the relationship between a teacher, who's the discipler, and the student, who's the disciplee. Disciples of Christ. He is our ultimate teacher. He is our ultimate teacher. So discipleship is when a follower of Christ, disciples, teaches, models, and trains another follower of Christ. Here's a good definition. Discipleship is the equipping and training of believers to make them more like Christ. 
It's the equipping and training of believers to make them more like Christ. You see, discipleship is an intentional relationship. It's an intentional relationship for the purpose of growth in Christ. It's not for the purpose of just getting friends and getting closer with friends. That's fine. That's good. We need Christian friends. It's vital we have Christian friends. But this is an intentional relationship for the purpose of growth in Christ. Now in the Bible, we read the Bible. We study the Bible. We learn the will of God in the Bible. And that directs us. That directs our whole human existence towards doing the will of God. So if you wanted to ask, what is discipleship? It's teaching somebody to be more like Christ. Where do we go to to get that content and train them? In the Bible. And we see, as we would expect, examples of discipleship happening in the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, just a brief survey would tell you that you see discipleship occurring all throughout. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, discipled him in Exodus 18. Moses told the Israelite fathers to disciple their children, Deuteronomy 6. They were supposed to train their children to meditate, to think on the things taught in Scripture. Elijah discipled Elisha in 1st and 2nd Kings. Samuel discipled a group of prophets in 1st Samuel. Jeremiah discipled Baruch in Jeremiah 36 and chapter 43 as well. Then we move to the New Testament. We see, of course, the ultimate example, Jesus Christ discipling his followers, which he called disciples. We see even John the Baptist having disciples. You remember they came, Jesus' disciples came and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Jesus is the ultimate discipler. You remember in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, when he says, take my yoke upon me and what? Learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then he goes on to say, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is offering salvation and he's saying, learn from me. It's a growing relationship. There's a reason that you're still here as a Christian. You didn't get saved in the next second you ended up in heaven. You're here right now this morning. So I know you're not in heaven. You're not perfected yet. And there is growth. There is learning to do. There's training to do. And you should be trained and learning as well. Let's go to Mark 3.13 and you'll see, I think, an example of how Jesus chose his disciples. Mark 3.13 And we see Jesus choosing the 12 here. And there's some important aspects we need to see with this. Mark 3, 13 and 14. We'll be bouncing all over the New Testament. Mark 3, 13. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, to be with him. And to send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And then he lists now the 12 that he appointed. Notice a few things here. First of all, he appointed them. None of the disciples came up and appointed themselves. He appointed them. He sought them out. He appointed them. He went looking for them. And they're called his disciples. They're followers of him. He carefully selected them. And, and the way that he did that is through prayer. It says in Luke six twelve, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So of all the people that were following Jesus around, he chose 12. That's a good example there of how we should carefully consider who God would have us disciple. It's not just sort of who shows up, but who do we 
feel like we should be discipling and pray about that. Also notice he discipled them so that they could be with him. So that they could be with him. He called them to follow him so they could spend time with him and learn from him and follow him and live like he lived. Notice also that he sent them out to preach the gospel. He didn't just sit back and say, you know what, you guys, just sit back and listen. You don't have to do anything. Just sit back, get a comfy chair, and listen as I teach. No, he taught them, and then he sent them out. He sent them out to make more disciples. He sent them out to preach the gospel. We have to be training new believers already. We see it as an example of Christ here. Training new believers, sending them out to make disciples, and train more believers. So that is, what is discipleship? It's equipping people. It's training them to be more like Christ. We do that because the Bible tells us to, and we do that the way that the Bible tells us to. Secondly here, second consideration this morning, I want you to see the disciplers of discipleship. Who should be discipling? Who should be discipling? Well, let's look at 2 Timothy 2.2. There's many places in the New Testament where we see an example of who should be discipling commands to disciple. 2 Timothy 2.2 is one that tells leaders to be training, to be discipling. 2 Timothy 2.2. If you've been coming to the men's leadership, you've heard this verse for a year and a half. Paul writes to Timothy, the things which you, that's Timothy, have heard from me, that's Paul, in the presence of many witnesses. The teaching of Paul, the teaching of the gospel, the teaching of the doctrines of the Bible. And trust these to faithful men. So Paul taught Timothy. And by the way, Christ taught Paul. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy's to teach these to faithful men in the church in Ephesus. And they will be able to teach others also. Leaders in the church must be training up men. They must be training up more leaders for the future of the church. God's looking for men that are qualified and that will step up and be trained and lead. Jay Adams says in his book, Shepherding God's Flock, men who qualify for the work of ministry are men who can keep the gospel torch burning brightly so that they are able to pass it on undimmed to those who follow. Without training up men, there won't be a church someday. And that's where many churches fall. A lot of churches might still be in existence who aren't training up men. But if they're not training up men, someday they will eventually die. They will go out of existence. That's commanded. Paul's not just saying, that's a good idea, Timothy, if you'd like to. No, you've got to do this. In fact, Timothy is only there for a short time. Then he's going to move on. You must do this. Let's go now to Titus. Go forward to Titus 2. So men should be training up men. What about women? Did did God forget the women in the Bible? You know the answer is no. Titus 2, 3 through 5 specifically addresses women here. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. So now he's, he's saying this is how an older godly woman should be. Reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. So that, so, so one of the reasons we live for Christ and we live for God is to honor him. But secondarily, it's to instruct, he says. Literally, the word can be translated train, 
to, to instruct, to bring up, to train the young women in sensibility, to love their husbands, to love their children, to, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. This happens with women training up other women. This happens whether it's a women's Bible study, whether it's a one-on-one discipleship. Women are to train women. Something, again, that's commanded. It's not just a good idea, but it needs to happen. The men need to be discipled and the women need to be discipled, Paul says. You know, a lot of churches don't follow this. They, They don't train up men. And then they say, women's Bible studies are not a good thing. That nowhere in the Bible should women go verse by verse through Scripture. It's completely foreign to the Scripture. Look, at, look again here at this verse. What are the older women supposed to train the younger women to do? To be sensible. I wonder if there's a book out there somewhere in the world that would teach us how to be sensible. How to be pure. How to be workers at home. I wonder if there's a good book that God gave us that would teach how to do that and show us an example. Yeah, there is. It's called the Bible. And a church that's refusing to let women study the Bible is going to suffer as well. There's going to be problems in the marriage. There's going to be problems in the home. Now, again, this is not a widespread problem, but it does happen. It is out there. I remember reading an article from a missionary. A family went over across the ocean and they came back 10 years later, more recent, and This woman was writing that when she left, she'd never heard of this issue of women not being allowed to study the Bible in the church as a group. And she said, I went on the mission field for 10 years with my husband and family. I came back and we ended up visiting a church that says it's not right for women to study the Bible verse by verse. When Paul is talking here, he's not saying, and there's nothing wrong with making quilts, but he's not saying get together with the women and just make baskets and quilts and paintings and artwork. But he's saying train them to do these things And those things are found in Scripture. So where do you go? You go to Scripture. You go to Scripture to learn these things. Yes, I'm belaboring the point because that is an issue that's out there. Who else is supposed to disciple? Ephesians 6.4. Go to Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. The discipline, that's, that's a training, that's a physical discipline. And instruction, that's a training that is instructing them in how to live out the Christian life. Because it's the instruction of the Lord. Who's to disciple? Men are supposed to disciple, especially church leaders in the church. Women, older women are supposed to disciple. Parents are supposed to disciple. They're commanded here. It's not just a good idea. He says, don't provoke them, but instead do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents have to disciple their children. This is not something that you brush off. This is where the modern church has often gone wrong. They've taken the responsibility that was laid upon the parents in Scripture and then tried to brush it off to the church. I'll drop my kid off at the church, you know, youth group, and then I'll go do something else. I'll go shopping. And the church will disciple them. Yes, we will disciple. That is what we're here for. But the parents have to be discipling. You really think one or two hours at church a week? is going to train your children how a Christian should live, parents? You've got to be modeling that. You've got to be training. You've got to be doing the spankings when they're little. The church is not going to do that. You've got to do it as parents. As unpopular as that is today, 
Who should be discipling? Every Christian should be discipling. Matthew 28. Go now to Matthew 28. This is our mission statement for our church. It's the mission statement really for all churches, even if they don't publicly acknowledge it. All true churches have this mission statement because Jesus gave it. It's the Great Commission. It's not just the missions statement of how to send out missionaries. It's not just the church planting statement for church planters. It's the church's mission, the whole church. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to his disciples. He spoke to them. The last thing he says to them in Matthew, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. For the Christian, Christ is the ultimate authority. Even for the non-Christian, even though they don't recognize it, Christ is the ultimate authority. But for us, he is the one who tells us what to do. And it's all been given to him by the Father. And so here's what he tells us to do based on that authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You proclaim the gospel. You explain the gospel. You spread the gospel. Now, this is a church effort. It doesn't mean every single person is supposed to leave today and go somewhere in the world and plant a church. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying apostles as a group, you're supposed to go and do this. And churches will be started and their mission is to go and make disciples of all the nations. That means we're making disciples here. That means as we go in our daily lives, we're making disciples. We're evangelizing. We're telling other people about Christ. And when they come to faith, they're called a disciple. That means we support missionaries who go and plant churches around the world and make disciples. That means, Lord willing, someday we'll have missionaries that are amongst our membership that decide to go and plant churches in the world and make disciples and train up others. But he doesn't stop there. Sometimes we think, well, that's it. That, that's, that's the great mission statement to send out people. Now, he's talking about every church, including Grace Bible Church, but he doesn't stop there. That's the first part of discipleship. You got to make the disciple. You got to evangelize somebody so they become a disciple. But then what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why do we require new members to be baptized? It's the first command that Christ says a disciple should go about doing. Be baptized. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of debate in church history. I know people have baptized babies as soon as they come out or on the eighth day. But he says, first you make the disciple. That's what the Bible says. Not church history, but the Bible. You make the disciple, then they're a believer, then they get baptized. And they associate themselves with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the second step of the Great Commission. You see, the problem is modern mission sometimes has just tried to make disciples. And then they said, we don't care where you go to church. You can go back to your Catholic church, go back to your Mormon church. You can go back to wherever you want. Big crusades that happened in the last century did that. Come forward, say a prayer. Oh, where are you from? You're from this liberal church? Just go back there. No, they need to be baptized. And they need to be, here's the third step. This is where we're going with discipleship. Teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. Teaching them to keep. So there's teaching and then there's living it out. There's keeping it. There's observing it. All that I commanded you. Is that something you can learn the first day you're a Christian? Is that something you can learn the first year you're a Christian? Is that something you can learn all that Christ taught? Can you learn and keep it 
even your whole life. You are constantly learning. You have to constantly be a disciple and learn. This is the ongoing work of the church. If you end up in a church that is not teaching you to keep all that Christ commanded, then find a church that does. That's the church's commission. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has ultimate authority. Here's what he tells us to do. And he reminds us at the end that he is with us as we do it. It's the church's mission. Simple three-step plan. And yet, how does church and our age get this so wrong? Here it is. One, two, three. Evangelize so the person has made a disciple. Baptize them in the name of the Trinity. And then spend the rest of their days teaching them. Teaching them to keep what Christ commanded. Who is to be a disciple? Who is to disciple others? Everyone. We saw the command for leaders in the church, men. We saw the command for women to disciple, parents to disciple. And if you think, well, that doesn't fit any of my categories. Everyone, Jesus says, should be discipling. It's the work of the whole church. So now let's look at, thirdly, the method of discipleship. Now, this is where often people want to jump to. How do I do it? How do I do it? We have to get the definition right. Then we have to ask, who are disciplers? Then we can come to the method. We're so method-focused in our world. We're so pragmatic. Give us the best, coolest, greatest method. Tell me the numbers. Tell me the people that you've brought to salvation. Tell me, tell me the people that you have discipled. Now let's talk about how it's done and how the Bible says it should be done. There's three parts to this, and I'll work through each of them. Three parts to the method. This is a broad method. I'll tell you later why we're not going to get specific. This is a broad method. First of all, educate. Secondly, train. And third, model. Educate, teach the Bible, train, show them how to live it out, and model. Be an example of it. So first of all, educate. A disciple needs to know Scripture. Teach them the Bible. Discipleship begins right here. What did Jesus say? Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to keep. Teach. It's the first part of that third step of the Great Commission. Teach. Teach what? Teach the Bible. Teach. Explain. What does the Bible say? You know how American Christians, you know how bad it is out there with American Christians? People who say, I'm a Christian. And yet they don't know the scripture. Let me give you some studies showing how people don't read their Bibles. They don't study their Bibles. And why discipleship is so important. I mean, people don't know their Bibles. They don't memorize scripture. They don't engage with what the scripture says and live it out. 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. This is a real poll, a real survey. Lifeway did a poll a while back. 40% of Christians don't even read their Bibles each week. 18% of those that they surveyed rarely or never read their Bibles. People who said they were a Christian and they rarely or never read their Bible. It's got to start there with discipleship. We're, we're biblically illiterate in modern Christianity. It has to start there. There are churches who, who skip that step. They skip the step of explaining the Bible and training from the scriptures. 
And they go right to doing. You've got to serve. It's even a common phrase among seeker-friendly churches. They'll say, you need to serve. Don't talk to me about doctrine until you have served. Tell me how much you're serving, they will say. Well, we have to start with the Bible. What do we teach? What do we teach? Pastor, this seems like too much. I'm not a theologian. I didn't go to seminary. We teach them to love Christ. Are you a parent? Are you an older woman, a man, or a Christian? You're supposed to disciple. What do you teach them? To love Christ. If you love Christ, can you teach somebody else how to love Christ? That's the whole New Testament. I'm not even going to cite verses there. Just teach them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There are plenty of verses. Go through the Gospels. Go through the, You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know Greek. Teach them to love Christ. Teach them what the Bible says about loving Christ. You've got a concordance. Flip through there. Use the Bible software. Type in love. Type in Christ and see what comes up. Go on Google. This is dangerous, I know. Watch. Be careful of the website you end up on. Verses about loving Christ. And a good one is just openbibleithink.net or something like that. There are many sites that will come up that just list the Bible verses. You don't want all the bad theology on the internet. You just want a list of verses. They'll use a bad translation probably, so use a good translation to look up the verses. But there is a list. There'll be hundreds. Loving Christ, loving God, loving the Lord. Teach them to love Christ. Teach them, secondly, to love His Word, to love the Bible. A disciple is, is somebody who abides and grows in God's Word. John eight thirty one. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in my Word, then you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Abide, live, remain in God's Word. Teach them to love Christ. They're already a Christian, so they should love Christ. Teach them how that is in Scripture and what that looks like. And that teach them to love His Word. Teach them to love the local church. A disciple has to have a love for Christ's body. Christ said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The Christian life is not me, myself, and the Holy Spirit sitting at home. That's not the church. The church is, is a community of believers that have the Spirit, that are worshiping in the Spirit, and that are discipling one another. Jesus says that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all, we, all will know, all the people will know, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 1800s, said, Church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to a sick man. Just being here with the body regularly will help you to love the church, and then you'll be able to, to teach others and tell others how to love the church. Teach them about how to love holiness and righteousness. That is under attack in today's world. It's under attack in the church Love holiness. Be holy, God says, like I am holy. Be perfect, Jesus says, like your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, that can't be done in this life, Pastor, so I'm not even going to try. Jesus didn't give another option. He didn't say, you have a valid excuse, believer. Since you can't be perfect, don't worry about it. He said, I gave you my spirit. I am with you. I gave you the church. I gave you pastors and elders. I gave you the Bible. Get busy. Get busy growing in holiness. 
He said, whoever does not carry his cross, his own cross, and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's just Christianity 101. Be holy. Be righteous. Kill the selfish sin in yourself and follow Christ. Bearing the cross is not just bearing it through physical suffering. Oh, I've got this cross. My pain, my back pain is hurting. I'm going to bear my own cross. He's talking about denying yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny the selfish, sinful desires that are still lingering when you're saved. Take up your cross means that you are dying to your old sinful self. And it's every day. Continuously follow him. Teach him to love the worship of God. This doesn't have to be complex. We're not talking about getting out a theology book for each one of these subjects. Teach them to produce fruit. This, again, ties back to holiness. Produce fruit. Look at John 15, 5. Look at that with me. John 15, 5. If you're connected to Christ, you will produce fruit. Abide in me, he says. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Abide in me and I in you. This is verse 4. As the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. You can't even bear fruit unless you stay in Christ. A Christian will be in Christ. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Just in case the reader's not clear, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you stay connected, if you remain in me and, and, and I in him, the believer, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Bear fruit for God. Teach them as you're educating them. How to evangelize. Go back to Matthew 18. Uh, Matthew 28. When you're explaining this to your disciple. Matthew 28. 18 through 20. Go and make disciples. Go to a passage where it talks about. How to explain the gospel. What is the gospel? Go to 1 Corinthians 15 with them. And show them. That Paul said. That here's the gospel. Here's a basic summary. I, I came and I delivered the gospel to you. First and foremost, he says in 1 Corinthians 15. And he explains it in about two or three lines. Teach them to serve. Teach them to serve. Oh, that's a great question. You're discipling somebody? Where are you serving? Where are you serving, disciple Lee? Oh, you don't have a place to serve. Let, let me connect you with one of the deacons. Let me connect you with Pastor Frank or, or Pastor Michael. L let's get you serving. I could go on with the list. I'll give one more. Teach them to pray. Teach them to pray. Well, the discipler says, I'm not that great at prayer, so I can't teach somebody to pray. Go to Jesus's prayer that he told the disciples to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the disciples' prayer. And just work through that. And you'll grow as you're teaching somebody else to grow in prayer. We don't expect the disciplee to follow everything we do. We expect them to follow what we point to in the Bible. All right, number two, train. Train. To be disciplined, that's what it means to be trained. You're disciplined in the Christian life. You discipline yourself like an Olympic, Olympic athlete. 1 Timothy 4, 7, if you have the legacy standard, I like the translation here better. Most translations say discipline yourself, but they translated it here, train yourself. Train. Discipline has a lot of different word meanings in English, different concepts, but training is the idea here. Like an athlete trains, like a professional sports player trains. Train yourself for what? The purpose of godliness. For bodily training, same kind of training. Again, the LSB for bodily training is only a little profit. 
So it's good to be healthy. It's good to work out. It's good to run. But that's a little profit compared to this other thing. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So you train now, you train now, and then you will benefit and reap from that, not only in this life, but the life to come. Christ did not leave us alone. He gave us brothers and sisters in Christ to train us. Train your disciple, Lee. Teach them what the Bible says. Now show them how to do it. One of the most frustrating things when I was a kid was being told to do something and then not being shown how to do it. Here's this awesome power tool, six-year-old boy. Now go figure out how to use it. Man, I might cut my leg off at this thing. You know, show me how to use it. Show me how to be safe. But training is showing people how to apply what is in Scripture. When you educate them, that's the playbook. But what does the football team have to do with the playbook? Practice, practice. That's training. Practice what you've taught them from Scripture. You have to train. Those you are discipling, they, they need opportunities to train. And, and that's where, the, if you're one-on-one with them, a good time to ask questions, to let them respond, to think through what you're teaching them. Do you ever notice how many times Jesus asked questions of his disciples or the hecklers, the Jews? It's estimated 135 times he asked questions in the Gospels. Let me read some of those. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Who do you say I am? Why are you sleeping? Have you never read in the scriptures? Before the parable of two sons, he says, what do you think? And then he tells the parable. He says, what do you think? And now he explains it. And of course, the idea is they're going to say what they think. Are you lacking in understanding, he says? Does this cause you to stumble? Do you believe this? Do you love me? Ask questions. Discipleship is not just you. If you're one-on-one, it's not just you explaining the Bible all the time. Ask questions. Men's leadership small groups, when we meet once a month, I'm asking these guys questions. And home group is just full of questions. The, The whole thing that we talk about is questions related to the sermon that was just preached. How would you respond? What what verses would you go to for that? You ask them. Okay, thirdly, model. Model. The method you need to educate, train, and then now model it. Now you live it out. Don't say, don't do what I do. Just do what I say. No, live it out for them. Model it. Model godliness. Model holiness. Model what it looks like to live a faithful life. Model evangelism. Model Bible study. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 4.16, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. People get all upset, especially out there on the internet. We're not to imitate man. We're not to imitate man. We're only to imitate Christ. Paul said, be imitators of me. And if you keep reading in 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 11, 11.1. Be imitators of me, Paul says, just as I also am of Christ. Be imitators of me because I'm following Christ. Now he was an apostle. But there are Christians today who are living a godly life and you need to imitate them. If they're discipling you, imitate what they're doing that is godly, as holy. Philippians 3.17, again, he says, Brothers, join in following my example. What is modeling? It's imitation, it's example, following an example. And look for those who walk, Paul says, according to the pattern that you have in us. Follow my example and look for other leaders and people that are ahead of you in this walk and follow their pattern. Go to 1 Thessalonians 1. And let's look here. 
at what he says about this. Again, he uses some, some key words. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, you also became imitators of us. He says, this is what you've done. You've become imitators of us and of the Lord. Ultimately, that's the goal, to be like Christ. But they, they, they don't see Christ walking around on the earth today. They have to look at the other Christians and follow them, imitate them, having received the word and much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became a model. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. There's modeling going on. There's an example. There's a pattern happening. Titus 2.7, In all things, show yourself to be a model of good works, with purity and doctrine dignified. Hebrews 6.12, Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Look at their life. Look at your leaders' lives. Imitate their faith. Imitate their conduct. So that's generally the three points you need to consider when it comes to method, the method of discipleship. The fourth consideration here is the setting of discipleship. Again, sometimes we're eager to get to this point. Okay, where and when does this all happen? How do we do it? How do we make this happen? The setting, where and when. Where and when discipleship happens. What are the different ways to be discipled and to disciple others? First of all, and we need to start here, corporate worship. Corporate worship on the Lord's day. One pastor said it's a foolproof discipling program. Now you say, come on, pastor. Discipleship's one-on-one. Discipleship's one-on-one. I've, I've seen the books out there. I've heard about this discipleship idea. It's one-on-one. It can't be done in a large group. Tell that to Jesus. Tell that to Paul. Growth through the word. The word is being preached in the church service. You see people give their testimony and get baptized. You, you see the elements of the Lord's Supper and you remember what Christ did for you. That's happening in the church service. It's training you how to worship how to sing praises. Paul says we're supposed to admonish one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mean, if you and your one-on-one discipler wants to sing songs in the coffee shop, that's fine. The, the other people might enjoy that. But the first place this is happening is already every Sunday on the Lord's Day in corporate worship. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. In other words, you got to be in a good church that is discipling you from the pulpit. Ephesians 4.11, he gave, he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, the ones in the front of this list were for a time, but the last two, pastors and teachers, they're still in the church. And what are they for? The purpose of these pastors and teachers is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So the pastors and teachers are teaching the body, the Bible. They're building up the body. And it's so that the saints are now equipped. They have the tools they need for the work of service or the work of ministry. They can minister to others. They can minister to others now. And that builds up the body of Christ. And then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith. And he goes on to describe what that looks like. Verse 14, so that we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. People need to be discipled and trained up because there's a lot of bad theology out there. You need to train them in good biblical training and theology. 
so that they know, they can spot that false teaching. When they walk in to the Barnes & Noble bookstore and they go to the Christian section, they know that 99% of that stuff is junk. And they don't pick it up. And they don't buy 10 copies to go give to their family on Christmas of bad theology, heretical theology. They're being discipled. Sometimes we laugh and we say, you know, how can they, how can they buy that Joyce Myers book? How can they do that? Well, they haven't been trained. They haven't been discipled. And if it's somebody you know, then you're the person that's supposed to tell them that's wrong and help them understand what the Bible teaches. Corporate worship. Brother or sister in Christ, if you're not regularly being discipled in the corporate worship, you're going to have a very hard time discipling someone else one-on-one. So it starts there. Jesus gathered crowds and he preached to them. Paul, crowds, and he taught them. Secondly, complementing the larger corporate worship is small group. Small group. Yes, we're getting to one-on-one discipleship. Jesus took how many aside and trained them? Twelve. That's a small group. And then he took three sometimes with him, didn't he? And went into to more in-depth things and let them see things that the other twelve didn't see. Paul had his followers. Many people were being discipled by him corporately, but he had Timothy. He had men like Titus. In fact, Acts 19.9, he's in Ephesus it says Luke is writing about what happened in Ephesus in Acts 19, speaking of Paul's ministry there. But when some were becoming hardened and were not believing. So these are Jews. They don't believe what Paul is saying. The Gentiles don't want to listen to him. They were speaking evil of the way before the multitude. He left them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Some people say this is the first seminary in the Bible. This is the first seminary. It's a school that's used to teach children. And Paul is using it when it's not being used as a school. He's using it to train up Christians. And some argue he's training men for the ministry here. Daily. Daily. Reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Not once a year, not once a month, but daily he's reasoning with them. In a small group, smaller than the whole multitude. Speaking to the Ephesian elders later in chapter 20 of Acts. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly. He taught them publicly. That's the corporate gathering. And from what? House to house. Small groups. House to house. The household would be the parents, children, servants, the slaves, the workers. The grandparents lived in the same house. I mean, these are small groups that he is going from house to house. And he did not shrink back from declaring to them the truth of the Bible. What do we do here for small groups? You may have heard about some of these. We do Bible studies for men and women on Wednesday evenings. We do equipping classes for adults. I mean, this is a great place to be discipled. 9 to 10 a.m. Sunday morning, equipping classes. Frank's in hermeneutics right now. And in the fall, I'm hoping to start systematic theology. And that's a two-year training. You already come into church. Just show up a little bit earlier and you get a training. You're being discipled in a smaller group. Sometimes we run two classes. Lord willing, we got room for three adult classes someday. The youth have a a small group on Sunday where they're learning right now in Pilgrim's Progress. There are six home groups that are out there. That's a small group discipleship. Conferences, counseling training classes, men's leadership training, formal discipleship small groups. Then lastly, one-on-one discipleship. One-on-one discipleship. Realize Jesus is more often spoken of as training in a larger small group and in Paul as well. One-on-one discipleship is what we're to do. We saw that in the Great Commission. We're all to be involved. 
there's not a lot on that necessarily in scripture. It's assumed. It's assumed that we're doing it, but you won't find a lot of scripture necessarily on that specific issue. Maybe it's one-on-one. It could be one-on-three. It could be one-on-two, but you're leading people more directly. It's more intimate. It's more personal, and it's important. Just because there's the corporate gathering in the small group doesn't mean this isn't important. Colossians 1.28, it's the mission of the whole church. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Every man, every Christian, every person. That's the goal of the church. And it's intentional. It's intentional. You're finding out what that person needs to grow. How's your walk with the Lord? You ask them, how's your prayer life? How's your time in the Bible? Often I'll take men to lunch and I'll say, you know, how's your work? How's your marriage? How's your walk with the Lord? And eventually I'm probably going to hear something that we need to do a little discipleship on. You can use book studies. Just grab a book from the bookstore that's good. Go go through that. It could be a targeted issue. This person doesn't understand the basics of theology. Maybe grab a a basic book like Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Maybe they don't understand the gospel very well. So you get a, a MacArthur book that talks about the gospel. You could have them listen to sermons and, and to digest the sermon and then discuss it. You can get deeper books and help them work through that. Charles Spurgeon said, we are quite persuaded that the very best way for you to be spending your leisure time is to be either reading or praying. You may get much instruction from books, which afterwards you may use as a true weapon in your Lord and master's service. Paul cries, bring the books, join in the cry. When my brother first got saved, I had about 10 years head start on being a Christian. And I thought, you know, he's going to end up in a bad church. He's going to end up with bad theology. I'm just going to give him as much stuff as I can. And there's about a two hour distance. so I wasn't able to be with him all the time. I just gave him all these RC Sproul MP3s that I had. I gave him John MacArthur, Grace to You. I just gave him a lot of stuff. I sent books to him. I gave him a new MacArthur study Bible. I gave him as much as he could take. And at the time, he had a job where he was driving a lot. And he could just listen to those things and read those things. And it helped him immensely start off on the right foot. Fundamentals of the faith. That, that's a curriculum created to go through the fundamentals. That's super easy. You just get the workbook. You listen to John MacArthur's sermons that go through each chapter. And you fill out the workbook and you meet with the person and discuss it. And then read through books of the Bible. You don't have to be the greatest exegete to ever live. Just just read through books of the Bible. The first time I started discipling my family and family worship, I thought, what's this Calvinism stuff? What's this reform stuff? I'm going to read the book of Romans. I didn't even know what I was talking about. I just read through Romans. And I said, kids, your dad doesn't know a lot at this time about Romans, but we're going to see what God's word says. We're just going to start there. We're just going to read half a chapter or whatever. Thankfully, I've grown since then a little bit. Biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is one-on-one intensive discipleship. It's often dealing with stubborn sin problems or relationship conflicts. What a great way to disciple others. I asked Frank a couple of weeks ago, how many people are being counseled through the ministry of our church? He said, there's 14 active cases. And then this last few days we were at the conference, three more came in. And our counselees can't even accept them. And we're having to send them to other certified counselors that are working on their certification and other places to get counseling. There's a great need. You want to disciple somebody? Frank will show you how to do it. He'll train you up in the class. You get certified. And then we'll just give you lots of people to disciple. And they're very motivated because they have problems in their life. And you can give them all kinds of homework. 
Okay, lastly and real quickly, number five, the errors. Let's talk about some errors. So we've looked at what is a disciple, what is discipleship. We've looked at various things like method, when and where. But there's some errors that people make. First of all, excluding Bible teaching. I'm not going to go back over that because we already covered it. But sometimes people think discipleship is just maybe just showing them how you live the Christian life. You know, just come live in my house and you'll see and observe. Well, there's some good to that. But you've got to, first of all, start with the foundation. Here's what the Bible says. Here's why I live the way I live. Yes, you're going to catch it, but you've also got to be taught it. Secondly, getting distracted. People meet for discipleship one-on-one, and the meetings turn into small talk, sports talk, gossip. It's okay to get off topic, especially if your disciplee has got a struggle, got a problem that they want to address, and the Bible addresses that. But be careful. Don't get distracted. Stay on topic. In general, you want to stay the course with the plan that you've established, whether it's working through a book or a workbook or so on, a book of the Bible. Thirdly, an error is making it too rigid. Making discipleship too structured, too rigid. And I know there's people who say just reading the Bible is too structured. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about saying this is the only way to be discipled in the Christian life. I've got the newest, greatest discipleship workbook that's ever been invented And you must do this if you're a real Christian. And you should feel guilty if you don't do all the assignments every week. No, there's multiple ways to disciple. I just described a lot of them to you. Don't be rigid. Don't say, well, this is the way that the Puritans did it. This is the way that John Owen did it. This is how Paul Washer does it, so I have to do it that way. This is how Susan Heck does it. This is how John Calvin discipled, and that's the only true way to disciple. Well, you're not John Calvin, you're not Paul Washer, you're not Susan Heck, you're you. And you need to start where you're at and disciple others from that point. Fourthly, another error is believing you just can't do it. Believing you just can't do it. This is like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Pessimistic, gloomy, depressed about discipleship. I don't know enough. I'm not a Christian. Very long, you know, 20 years is not that long as a Christian. I just don't know anything. My wife knows more than me about the Bible. Who am I? Just disciple them. Don't talk about how much more somebody else knows. Everyone has other people that know more than them. It doesn't matter. You just have to know more than that person for that lesson. The teacher only has to be one lesson ahead of the student. That's it. Just read the chapter ahead and then mark it up and then go back and talk to them if they're reading a book. John MacArthur says, you may think you don't know much, then find someone who knows less than you do. Tell them what you do know. Find someone who knows more than you do and listen to that person. Teach and be taught. He says, I pour my heart unto the people I disciple and I learn from others. All of us have to be in that flow. We're not to be isolated. We are a chain all linked together. You don't know that much? Then, then get to learning. But there's somebody else that always knows less than you. And the children in your household, especially, know less than you. So get to discipling. The last one, going too fast. The last error, number five, is going too fast. Just going too fast. You're so eager to disciple. And I mentioned Eeyore before. This is Speedy Gonzalez, if you remember that. Now, the woke people have taken Speedy Gonzalez away, so the kids don't know. But this is dubbed the fastest mouse in all Mexico. And he was extremely fast. And display the quick wit. There's people that are speedy Gonzalez discipling, counseling too. Don't be that. 
You may want to read a thousand page biblical doctrine book, but that might not be the best place to start. You know, just start with a little booklet. You may want to go through a few select verses instead of spending 47 hours a month in Leviticus. You may want to memorize just a few basic Bible verses instead of memorizing the book of Isaiah. Don't rush it. Don't be so quick. Slow down. Just memorize one verse. So these are the five errors. Excluding biblical teaching, getting distracted, making it too rigid, believing you can't do it, and going too fast. For one-on-one discipleship, take those into consideration. So we've looked at what is discipleship, and we've considered how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, and the errors. My exhortation to you is find somebody to disciple if you're not already. I meet in any week with two to three men regularly for discipleship. Frank is discipling many people. I'm discipling all of you right now in this sermon. We have discipleship opportunities in small groups. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book on discipleship. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. He said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. You've got to have discipleship because Christ told us we are his disciples. And he told us to go and make disciples. And he told us to teach them to observe all that he's commanded. So let's ask the Lord's help in this. Lord, we do need your help as disciples of Christ. We want to evangelize and make disciples. We want to train them up. We want them to know you more. Lord, that's what we're called to do. We're called to help others to know Christ better and better, to be more like him, to be sanctified. We can't do it without you. We can't do it without your word. Make this church a place of discipleship, a place of learning, a place of growth, not just from the pulpit or the lectern, but with these smaller groups and and one-on-one, meeting in coffee shops, meeting in homes, meeting in rooms of the church. Help us, Lord, to be a discipling church as we already are, but we could always do better, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.